Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Christmas is just around the corner. It's almost a false start into the weekend because we have this extended weekend with the wonderful celebration of Christmas coming up on Monday. Hope you planned your mass times with the complication of needing to make sure we make it to two masses, a Christmas mass, even if it's Christmas Eve, and a Sunday mass, even if it's your Sunday. You could do two in the same day, but not two for one this year. So you do two in the same day, that would be Sunday morning mass and Sunday evening mass, which is not a Sunday mass, but a Christmas mass. So there's your tongue twister practically for the week. I hope you planned and plotted for the Christmas time. What a great time to celebrate. We have this one last day to celebrate the Advent season, or might I say one last mass before diving into this great season of Christmas. And a little tip for you, the best way to celebrate the octave of Christmas is to go to Mass every single day of that octave of Christmas. We'll actually dive into how to do that and celebrate this great season a little later on. Joining me today here on Trending is Father Tim Grumbach. We are live with you here on Relevant Radio. It's wonderful to be with you in these final moments preparing for Christmas, whether you're in the thick of crap of traffic and so happy to be done and heading into a little bit of time off or whatever you might be doing. Thanks for joining us here on Trending. We are live and it is great to be with you. Father Tim Grumbach has been a long-term friend here of Trending. Father Tim serves as a chaplain at Bishop Alamany High School in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. And he's here to dive into this preparation for Christmas. One of the great traditions in the church is to have what's referred to as Vespers, prayed every evening by our priests and religious sisters. And Vespers is evening prayer, Latin for evening prayer. And in that evening prayer, we have a theme of the season, whether it be ordinary time, Advent, or a particular feast day. And some of my favorite prayers of Vespers include this particular season, these last days leading up to Christmas, where we have what's referred to, you may have heard of them before, as the O Antiphons. It's part of where we get some of our great Advent hymns, such as O Come Divine Messiah, and others that include parts of the O Antiphons. So the O Antiphons are are where we hear about O Wisdom of our God Most High, and we're calling for this coming Lord Jesus, O Leader of the House of Israel, O Root of Jesse, come, O King of David, O Key of David, O Radiant Dawn, O King of Nations, O Emmanuel and King and Lawgiver, this calling of all these naming and desire for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're going to do something fun here. We'll bounce back and forth between the actual sung hymns of the O Antiphon that we'll be playing here on Trending alongside explaining some of the 
historical biblical context in which these O antiphons rest. And so we'll be diving deeply into the Old Testament of this anticipation and this foresight where we see Jesus Christ concealed in the Old Testament in anticipation of him. Father Tim Grumbach, welcome to Trending. Oh, it's so good to be back and you're right about trying to fit everything in this weekend. I think I've got four masses over 24 hours and it, three like three different sets of readings. And so always looking forward to this uh, time <laughs> of Christmas and trying to walk my through to, my students through it as well. I had a girl who was like texting her mom right before the final that we were about to take. And she's like, I got to figure out which masses I have to go to. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm glad that uh, I'm glad you care that much. So, um, so yeah, I good to be this. back and yeah, yeah. And again, I know we've already talked about Advent and kind of I'm sad that it's so short this year, uh, not just because there's a, a lot of work to do over the next couple of days, but Advent truly being one of my favorite seasons that uh, to uh, only have three weeks actually of Advent, I feel like there's uh, <laughs> less time to get ready for Christmas. And so we just trust that the Lord is doing enough in our hearts to get us ready for Sunday and Monday. I agree. It's, I know it's a mutually our favorite liturgical season and it's rushed this year. I want to walk through maybe slowing down. If maybe this is the one time you pause before Christmas to slow down in anticipation of Christ, because that's what Advent is. It's a time of preparation, of reparation and union with Christ to prepare that way for him. And for centuries, the people of Israel, the chosen people, were waiting for the coming of the Messiah. And we have this great tradition in the church of the O Antiphons, these prayers that are prayed during evening prayer in the convents and the monasteries. And by priests and religious such as yourself, we can pray them too as a laity. I personally love to uh, for a lot of the seasons off and on throughout the year. And so we're going to dive into some of the rich teaching, but I want to actually play some of the beautiful antiphons themselves for you. Uh, they're sung in Latin, but this first antiphon, I'll read it to you and then we'll unpack it a little bit after we hear some of the hymns. It's, O wisdom of our God most high, guiding creation with power and love, come to teach us the path of knowledge. This is the first O antiphon from December 17th. Let's go ahead and listen to it sung. Voices of the seminarians from St. Joseph College Seminary singing, O wisdom of our God most high, guiding creation with power and love, come to teach us the path of knowledge. Father Tim, what's the biblical basis and what should we be pondering in preparation for Christmas in this hymn? Well, especially looking to the Old Testament and hearing that word wisdom, one of the figures that will come up is King Solomon, who instead of asking for power or any other kind of benefits from the Lord when he was told he could ask for anything, he asked for wisdom. 
and then also to draw from the book of wisdom itself that and the book of proverbs and so many other places where wisdom is not just uh some kind of virtue or some kind of faculty of the human person to make the right decisions but wisdom is personified in all of those places and the tradition of the church is to understand that Jesus Christ is wisdom incarnate, that Jesus is the wisdom of the Father. And I was just reading uh, about some of the Arian heresy uh, back in the uh, third and fourth century that uh, the uh, Arians were trying to say that Jesus Christ was not God himself, but, you know, God's most exalted creature. But then, you know, great voices like Athanasius would say, are you saying that God's wisdom Jesus himself, God's wisdom did not exist with God from eternity. Are you saying there was a time when God did not have wisdom, was not wise? And that was, uh, you know, <laughs> the mic drop moment of saying that wisdom is personified in Jesus Christ, that Jesus is God's wisdom himself. And so we're not just asking for a way to make better choices. We're asking for Jesus himself to come into our lives and to come and teach us the way of prudence. And I, I love it mightily and sweetly ordering all things that this again it's not just decisions that we make but it's a person that we come to know and that's the only way that we'll be able to know the right choices to make through wisdom Mm, when i think about wisdom it's one of the 12 fruits of the holy spirit Mm. or sorry seven gifts of the holy spirit and and wisdom is something that is so desperately needed in our culture today. I think that people have a lot of facts, people have a lot of information, but we lack wisdom. We often lack understanding. And what is knowledge if we don't actually have the wisdom of God, the knowledge of God? And I think that's really key in discovering truth. Let's dive into the next O Antiphon. It's sung again by St. Joseph College Seminary, and it's speaking of the house of Israel. I'll share the interpretation in just a moment here. antiphon leading up to Christmas. It's an Advent antiphon that says, O leader of the house of Israel, giver of the law to Moses on Sinai, come to rescue us with your mighty power. I love Father Tim, where it's really pointing to Jesus is the leader who comes from the house of Israel, looking at that succession of having come from the chosen people whom God over and over again has building this, been building these covenants with from Abraham all the way to David himself and to his, to his prosperity of Jesus Christ. Yeah, and I'm no expert on the development of these antiphons or how they were translated, uh, but in the Latin, it's O Adonai, which draws from a Hebrew word for that we translate as Lord. And yet uh, the translation we might hear in English is it says just, O leader of the house of Israel. And I feel like there's something really missing if, you're, if we're 
drawn out to that word uh, Adonai, that word Lord. And so I don't know the reason why it's just translated as leader because it's in the Latin. The word leader is in there. It's just somehow they, they just skip the word Adonai altogether. Uh, but uh, that they draw the, the word Adonai from that beautiful image of, you know, this is not just a leader, not just a king, but this is the Lord himself who appeared to Moses in the fire of the burning bush in Exodus 3. He, this is the one who gave the law in Sinai, especially the Ten Commandments in uh, chapter 20 of Exodus. And right after that great theophany where the, the, the mountain pretty much explodes with God's presence and there's fire and a storm and thunder and lightning. This is the Adonai who reaches out to him people, his people and gives them the law. But as Christians, we see this even more fulfilled and even more powerful in a spiritual sense on Pentecost when the Lord comes down uh, not as a you know to destroy a mountain with the uh, with fire and thunder and lightning, but comes down as fire on the apostles and gives them not just the law written on stone, but the law written on their hearts, so that they can go out and proclaim to all the nations that you know the Lord is going to come and redeem us with an outstretched arm. So to draw that beautiful Old Testament imagery, to see it fulfilled and still lived out in the church now, that we can call the Lord Adonai, we can call him our Lord. Uh, and ask him to come to lead us. And so I, I very much love this antiphon because of that powerful Old Testament imagery of the burning bush and the mountain on fire. And I love where you mentioned that the O Antiphon, it sings O Adonai. So the translation, we say O leader of the house of Israel in English, it, it's missing something. It's lacking not just a leader, but that strong level of authority, of lordship of God. And I can't help but think of the word patriarchy when I hear that. You know, we have this culture, Father Tim, that says smash the patriarchy today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, our very religion is very much so centered on the headship, the authority, the ordered relationship as God as creator and you and I as creatures and the humility that's necessary to submit to the authority of the plan God has for our lives. And you mentioned a moment ago, as it says in this hymn, the giver of the law to Moses on Sinai, right there we see, again, that authority of the blueprint for our very lives as seen and understood in the Ten Commandments. I mean, the Ten Commandments are very intuitive for us as human beings, but can we ask why? The Ten Commandments are intuitive because they're given to us by our Creator who created us for happiness through following the very order He has in store for us. And that is exercised through His power, which as you mentioned, the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, it's done through the grace of God. And I think that's part of what's so frightening is that even though God is leader, even though He's Lord in His love and mercy and generosity, He gave us free will so that we can live in God's ordered relationship and by his blueprint through the grace of his very life itself. And we'll see it throughout the rest of these antiphons as well is keep on, we keep on asking the Lord to come and bring us freedom and only the Lord can do that. And, you know, this is not to say that, you know, we have a, a freedom of license that, you know, if you have absolute freedom, then you're free, but it's only freedom to speak the truth. It's only freedom to do the good. Anything else is to be imprisoned by our passions or the evil of this world. And so we'll keep that in mind as we look at the rest of the antiphons. 
The next antiphon, and if you're just joining us now, you're listening to Trending with Tim Ray live here with Father Tim Grumbach from Bishop Alamini High School in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. We're going through these great hymns, these antiphons of the church leading up in these final days to Christmas to prepare us for Christmas. They are sung by the wonderful St. Joseph's Seminary Choir. Listen to the next regarding the root of Jesse. Jesse come, this in signs raise for all to whom the nations pray, before whom kings keep silent to rescue quickly come. Father Tim, comment on this this antiphon to regard the root of Jesse, Jesus, as that root. Again, we have to understand the Old Testament root, if you will, of these words, of these names, and to know that Jesse is the father of David. And so um, I've always felt that this uh, antiphon was a little bit backwards, right? How is how is Jesus, uh, the one that we're longing for, uh, the root of Jesse? How did Jesse uh, spout from uh, from Jesus. And in a certain sense, you know, it, that doesn't make sense to the ways of the world, right? That Jesse would be the root uh, from which David and the kingship of David and ultimately Jesus would physically come from. But the, and so you could say the reason Jesus uh, was born, the reason he exists is because Jesse is the root. But then when you realize the spiritual implications of that is the whole reason that Jesse existed and then David becomes king is so that ultimately Jesus would be able to come and he would be the root, the spiritual root of Jesse and David and of all the kingship and of all the nations. And so Jesus is the root of all things. And it dives into this understanding of salvation history. We have the fun tradition within the church of instead of doing Christmas trees, of making Jesse trees. And those would include ornaments that really characterize and symbolize salvation history. And it's something I've enjoyed doing. I've made it my own of taking symbols such as an apple, such as a whale, various things that lead up to Christ in salvation history that we read about in sacred scripture. And root of Jesse, that is the very theme of the tree because through salvation history, we have this Davidic line coming from Jesse, but ultimately originating from God himself. And so it's a reminder for us to know our scripture, to know when in art, such as these antiphons, we can actually see the story of salvation playing out before our eyes. And one of the key lines from this specific antiphon says it refers to Jesus essentially the longing for Jesus as the one before whom kings keep Mm -hmm. silent and as I kept thinking of that Father Tim it made me think of the necessity for humility that Mm -hmm. it should be in proper authority and proper order that 
Jesus is their king. Jesus is their master. They are the one whom, even though they have all this power, this talent, they remain silent. And it's a reminder for us that ultimately Christmas should be a incredibly humbling experience. And even with this whole having to go to mass two times, I'm excited. I think it's a great time, but I know some people have some ruffled feathers about it. I think there's that authority of Jesus of saying, you know what, I'm humbled by this dependence I'm meant to have on receiving you and coming to be with you in the mass. I was also going to point out that line about the the kings will close their mouths before the Lord. And uh, that may not actually be in the English translation uh, here. The USCCB has some beautiful translations, but they shorten it a little bit and they leave that part out. So it's important to see it in the Latin as well. And to remember that the church's understanding of the secular government is that all legitimate authority ultimately comes from Jesus Christ, who says all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And so any legitimate secular rulers do have authority, but only when God lets them. And so you could say that they are meant to close their mouths to their own thoughts and their own words that are not God's. And if their mouths are to be open, it will be only God speaking through them. And so uh, the root of Jesse means that Jesus is the king that David's kingship was geared to all along and that every earthly authority uh, really only has any legitimate authority when God has given it to them. It's a reminder for any of us who, whatever your role in life may be, a parent, a teacher, uh, a CEO, a lawyer, that all of that talent, all of that quote-unquote power as the world loves to grasp at is meant to be you bearing Christ to others through your service and through your work, harboring truth and peace and joy rather than this competition and cutthroat animosity that is so prevalent in the world today. Right. And Next. the, oh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just continuing to look at like our own political situations and, and whatever uh, complaints we may have is that how, how do we let Christ rule through our mouths and through what we have to say, uh, rather than a bitterness that comes that uh, we let Jesus truly be the root of any political uh, leanings or actions that we take. The next antiphon refers to the Messiah, Jesus, as the key of David. Listen to this by St. Joseph's College Seminary. They sing, O key of David, opening the gates of God's eternal kingdom. Come and free the prisoners of darkness. Father Tim Grumbach here with me on Trending, commenting on these beautiful antiphons of the church. Your thoughts on this next one? Uh, the the key of David, uh, again, refers to, I mean, when we hear key, we'll probably first think of the keys of Peter, that 
the keys of the kingdom that Jesus had given the keys of his kingdom over to Peter and that Peter would be the rock on which he had built his church. And so we look to the Pope and, uh, and see that they, yeah, the popes have a, a certain authority given to them and it's not their key. It's not their authority, but it's that which Jesus has given to them. And knowing that that also comes all the way from the Old Testament and uh, famously so from Isaiah 22, when the prime minister of sorts of the house of David had his authority taken away, Shebna, and given to Eliakim, who, and that very similar language uh, about the key of the house of David being placed on his shoulder. When he opens, no one shall shut. When he shuts, no one shall open. So this is drawn directly from, this is really easy to remember and to look it up, Isaiah 22, 22. And then it it reaches into, uh, again, right there, like Matthew 16, 16, and so on. So it's easy to find these if you can remember those two numbers and know that this draws directly out of scripture and that we continue to pray for our Pope as a sign of unity, as a sign of Christ's desire to uh, to open the kingdom to us, but also close us off from sin. So to draw from this Old Testament image, again, fulfilled in the New Testament, that we are singing about this hope and this desire that came from the Old Testament, fulfilled in the New Testament, and is still lived out today through the ministry of the Pope. And as I look at this, it says, come and free the prisoners of darkness. That's what Jesus Christ comes to do. And he is the solution to everything that we need, to everything that we're experiencing, everything we're suffering personally in society. And that is where we need to see the light of Christ coming, the key of David to free us as prisoners bound by our disordered human desires, bound by our sin, bound by the fragility of human relationships, that there is hope and there's healing, there are answers, and there's light in the darkness when we turn to Christ and His coming at Christmas. That's Father Tim Grumbach here on Treading with Tim Ray. We'll be right back continuing to walk through these great antiphons and hymns of Advent that the church offers us as we prepare our way in these last few days for Christ at Christmas. Tim Grumbox here with me today. You're listening to Trending with Tim Ray live from Relevant Radio. And we are diving into the wonderful antiphons leading up to Christmas in these final days of Advent, preparing the way of the Lord. Father Tim Grumbach from Bishop Alamany High School, serving there as the chaplain in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. The next hymn that we listen to from St. Joseph's College Seminary is the O Antiphon that begins with O Radiant Dawn. I'll interpret it in just a moment here. Listen up. Oh, <laughs> 
They sing, O radiant dawn, splendor of eternal light, son of justice, come and shine on those who dwell in darkness and in the shadow of death. I love this. And looking at even some of the roots, Father Tim, from Isaiah chapter 9, where we read about how the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. This is who and what Christ is for us in our lives, that hope, that symbol of light, that radiant dawn, that even in the midst of the darkness of the of the night, as light begins to come, it slowly and slowly floods the world with a radiating light. And that's who and what Christ is himself. Yeah, there, as with all of these, there's just so much richness here. And I would just start with that first word, O radiant dawn. Uh, sometimes it's translated as O morning star. So it's not an easy word to translate uh, because it's O Orient, which uh, has the sense of oriental. It is uh, something from the east. And so it's that first light that comes from the east, whether it be from a morning star or from the first light of the dawn breaking as the new day begins. And so it draws to mind for us a lot of different images as a part of the church. Uh, for first, you know, the idea of ad orientum is that, uh, you know, to worship all together in the same direction facing the east from which the Lord will come again. And there's uh, one little known tradition as well, as far as the facing of the east and the expectation that the Lord will return. And I don't know if this is followed everywhere, but uh, it's a tradition that uh, when somebody is buried, uh, they will be buried facing the east so that they, when they rise from the dead, they will rise and face the Lord as he comes from the east. And uh, the other part of that tradition is that when a priest is buried, that he'll be facing the other direction so that he will be facing the people that he has brought, uh, whether in good or in ill, uh, towards the Lord. And so this expectation that the Lord will be coming from the east as the sun rises in the east, this oriens, this radiant dawn, this morning star, uh, just so much richness in that first word right there. I love how wonderfully morbid our faith can be because I know for some people are thinking are we really talking about what way you face and I'm just practically sitting here thinking like okay maybe someone has to be rolled on their side if they can't you know in, in terms of standing up anyway I'm sorry but the, it's funny because I think some people really do think about how morbid our faith can sound and that we are not afraid though of death and I think that's such a key part of this conversation we're actually going to be talking about hell in just a little bit here in our series on the four last things but focusing on on this antiphon, as you mentioned, O radiant dawn, splendor of eternal light, son of justice, come and shine on those who dwell in darkness and the shadow of death. You mentioned how one of the other interpretations is O morning star and you and I have talked about this before on Trending, how this last, this third Sunday of Advent, we're in this third week of Advent still, and we have that rose-colored, pink-colored, whatever you want to call mm -hmm. it, candle investments, and how the pink, the rose, is a symbol of that light of the dawn breaking and the joyful anticipation of the coming of Christ. I think that imagery is so rich when we really do just ponder how art and music and words can so poetically draw us into a meditation meditation of that longing and deep abiding need for God himself. As St. Augustine says, our souls are restless until they rest in thee, O Lord. The next antiphon coming from December 22nd sings about the King of Nations. Listen here from St. Joseph College Seminary. Oh, uh, yes. 
King of the nations and desired of all, you are the cornerstone that binds two into one. Come and save humankind from whom you formed out of clay. This is the hymn just sung by St. Joseph College Seminary. Father Tim, if you would comment on this antiphon. Yeah, again, so much richness uh, that the he is Jesus is the king of the nations, uh, but first he is the king of Israel, the king of the Jews, as it said on his cross. And that's really important in the, to say that Jesus could not be the king of the nations or the king of the universe unless he was first the king of Israel, because God so loved the, this small people of Israel and promised to bring a blessing to all the nations through these people, this family of Abraham. And so this antiphon is full of this beautiful imagery of God bringing together the Jews and the Gentiles, that that was his plan all along. This beautiful imagery of all people, that everyone is formed out of the clay, that it, it brings together something both uh, comforting, but also something troubling uh, is that, you know, we are not our own creators. We are not, uh, you know, ultimately um, responsible for our own creation and deciding what is good for ourselves, but that we have been formed out of the dust and everybody that we meet will ultimately come from the same place and is destined for the same place as well. And so Jesus as king of the nations is first the king of Israel, but also the desired of all nations, not just the Jewish people, but of all nations. So much Old Testament and New Testament richness in this antiphon mm -hmm. as with all of them. And it keeps striking me, Father Tim, as I've been praying these antiphons, just the level of focus on the authority of God rooted all the way back all throughout salvation history. And we hear it over and over again. It's like this reminder, just knocking at the door to literally get over ourselves, to be humble, to become part of the earth. And I think that we miss in our modern culture that there's freedom in submission to the will of God, that there's freedom in rightly ordered relationships in that hierarchy when everyone's doing the thing that they ought to be doing in relation to how God created us. There's freedom, there's joy, there's levity to life, even when things don't work out perfectly. Right, and that freedom must be found in you know, accepting God's plan that uh, and you know, to ask ourselves, what does it matter now that God desires to gather together the Jews and the Gentiles? Is that something only of biblical times? Does that matter anymore? Mm. No, it <laughs> matters because I, you know, I do not come from a, a Jewish family. I, so ultimately, we are all a part of that nation that was it was grafted onto the olive tree that is Israel, and so we can give thanks that we are Christians because of this antiphon. And you know, it says that. Jesus is uh, the, na the desire of all the nations, but ultimately it's because of his desire for all the nations, that he's the one that desired first so that we could desire him. Moving on to the final of the antiphons that the church prevent presents us leading up to Christmas and that, oh, Emmanuel, our king and lawgiver. I'll, I'll read more of it after we hear this hymn from St. Joseph College Seminary of this last antiphon.
sing, O Emmanuel, our King and Lawgiver, the expected of nations and their Savior, come and save us, O Lord, our God. Father Tim, I keep thinking just at the beginning, we hear, O Emmanuel, which we shouldn't forget means God with us. And it reminds us of the closeness of God to us and how how much closer can you become to us as human beings than to literally take on human flesh? And this is what the incarnation is, the coming of Christ in the flesh, fully human and yet fully divine. And it's a reminder of what Adam and Eve experienced in part in the garden and that relationship that we read about in Genesis Genesis chapters one and two, prior to the fall of Adam and Eve, how God literally walked with them in the garden. He was with them. He remained with them. And we too now can remain with Christ who has left himself literally here on earth for us in his ongoing giving of himself to us in Holy Communion. Right. And to break down that word Emmanuel a little bit, the ima is uh, means with, nu means us, and el means God. And so with us is God. So that's, if you've ever wondered about how the word Emmanuel could possibly mean God is with us. And it's it was a promise made in the Old Testament that it would be the name of the Savior. And though Jesus's name is not literally Emmanuel, it is who he is. And the, all through the Old Testament, God is promising to be Emmanuel. And there's so many moments in the prophets where he said, I myself. So you think of where in they're in battle, he says, I myself will fight for you. Or when he's speaking through Ezekiel, I myself will pasture my sheep. And then ultimately, you know, the prophets are in a certain sense, all just through their actions and their lives and their sufferings are a sense of God with us. They are all pointing towards something greater though, is that they experienced God's heartbreak for his people and they lived it out and they suffered through it. But it wasn't until Jesus was born in a manger, in a stable, that we could say in the most physical and incarnational sense, literally, that God is with us. And so I've been praying a lot this Advent, especially you know, hearing a lot of confessions, the reality of Jesus was born in a stable. That's where God wanted to be born. They had to clean something up, but really all they could really do was make space. And so we prepare for Christmas by making space in our hearts, right? We don't have to perfect ourselves before Jesus gets here. He's the one that does that. But we do have to make some space because our hearts could be messy like stables. But if that's where Jesus wanted to be born as a baby, then you know, and he can make a stable into a holy place, I think he could do the same thing with our hearts. And so God is with us is maybe not Jesus's actual name, but it is who he is. And just a thought as you talk about preparing space for Christ, we have this last great opportunity Saturday. Most all parishes offer confession. And I know that's my goal is to go to confession one last time before Christmas to better prepare that space for Christ this season at Christmas. That's Father Tim Grumbach here on Trending with Tim Marie. We'll be right back continuing our series on the four last things, diving into the topic of hell. Do you know the teaching of the church on hell? And also the importance of how we can celebrate the octave of Christmas beyond the day of Christmas. Spirit. 
from Bishop Alamini High School in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles is here with me today on Trending with Timory. It's my last day with you before Christmas. I'm so excited for the Christmas season and we'll talk in just a moment about some ways that you can take Christmas beyond the day itself. And one way I'll just mention here, if you missed it, yesterday I dove into the 12 Days of Christmas song and the hidden Catholic meaning behind it. It's a great way to learn your Catholic faith and some key elements of our faith and catechism or teach it to those who are entrusted to your care if you have a family. So I hope you'll catch that episode. Head over to relevantradio.com forward slash trending or wherever you catch your podcast to listen now. But before we continue, Father Tim, I've been in this series, this four-part series, and the four last things that the church refers to that our gaze is really called to be focusing in on during this Advent season. Those things are death, judgment, heaven, and hell. And the last of which that we still have to cover is hell. It's a pretty hefty topic, but I want to do just a little bit of a crash course, briefly diving into some key elements of recognizing the significance of hell. And I invite you, if you have never read from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, it's It'll maybe take you five minutes in these short paragraphs, paragraphs 1033 through 1037 of the teaching on hell. And I just want to read a little bit from these, Father Tim. We begin by reading, We cannot be united with God unless we freely choose to love Him. But we cannot love God if we sin gravely against Him, against our neighbor or against ourselves. We read, He who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, or, and you know that no murderer has life abiding within him. So here we kind of have this basis, this starting point for what hell is and how ultimately those who go to hell or who freely choose to not fall in line with the love God is calling us to and the way we live our lives, function in our bodies and interact with other people as well. You're right. It can feel like a little bit of a, a whiplash from where we've just gone from, you know, this longing and this <laughs> expectation for Jesus to come back and to restore everything. And now we're looking at hell, which can be defined as an eternal separation from God that's brought about mm-hmm. by deliberate and uh, deliberate mortal sin. So uh, I was actually just teaching my sophomores about all of this, about these four last things. And so, uh, you know, this is all pretty fresh on my mind. Uh, but ultimately that hell, as strange as it sounds, is a revelation of God's love is that it's not a love that will force itself upon us, but it is a love that demands a response. And sometimes someone may respond against it and there are eternal consequences for that. And uh, that hell isn't something that God just sends people to and locks the door. Uh, But C.S. Lewis actually gives a, a powerful image. You know, it's not perfect, but it's helpful in understanding that it's not just something that's done to us, but it is something that is actively chosen by us should we end up there. And C.S. Lewis describes it as a door locked from the inside. So we might have this image of hell as, you know, being thrown into a prison by God with, with, uh, with the door locked from the outside. But he says more so it's we've chosen not to respond to God's love. We've chosen selfishness. And so hell isn't about us like knocking on the door. Let me out of here. Let me out of here. But rather it's a sense of we've locked a door in isolation and people are, you know, God is in a certain sense with his love saying, 
please let me in, let me, let me in to love you. And it's our eternal decision to say, no, I do not want to be loved. And so the greatest punishment uh, isn't, you know, the image of fire uh, burning us, but the greatest punishment is separation from God's love and mm-hmm. our eternal decision, which not, can, cannot be turned around based on the church's teaching, uh, that it's our eternal decision not to love God back, not to respond to his love and not to be uh, not to be loved or to respond to that love. And so it's it's a hard thing to think about, but it is in that sense, a revelation even of God's love. And I love that you mentioned that because it is God being merciful. If we are so far removed from him, we couldn't even fathom or be comfortable with him. And you just think about it when you're in sin, when you're sinning, you don't really feel comfortable being around people who convict you or maybe doing the good things that oppose the very vice and the sin that you're living in. So how could we even fathom being with God when we're living a life so antithetical to who and what He is and what He has created us for? So it's that reminder to go to confession, to live a life in the state of grace. The Catechism of the Catholic Church in the section on hell uh, really finishes it the section discussing hell and saying that affirmations of sacred scripture and the teachings of the church on the subject of hell are a call to the responsibility incumbent upon man to make use of his freedom in view of his eternal destiny. They're at the same time an urgent call to conversion. And so any conversation, Father Tim, surrounding hell really is an opportunity to take seriously death, judgment, heaven, and hell, and to amend our lives so that we can convert by the grace of Jesus Christ that we so that we might merit the kingdom of heaven by his grace. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. Father Tim Grumbach's with me. I want to discuss how to celebrate this Christmas season. Christmas is that big day. We build up to it, the music, the lights, the gift giving. And sometimes it's almost as if there's this huge climax at Christmas Day and then this big just like drop that everyone just goes into vacation mode and Uh, Maybe we continue to indulge in way too many treats and sleeping in a lot. And we forget that it's actually a fantastic liturgical season that the church gives us this opportunity to get it right and not just make it all about the gifts and the lights and the food, but to enter into the gift of receiving Christ. And so we have this long season of an eight-day octave and 12 days to the epiphany. So we have a lot of time here. What do you recommend doing during this Christmas season? Well, as you mentioned before at the start of the show was try to get to mass every day during the octave. It's not required, but uh, liturgically, it's meant to be almost as big a celebration as Christmas Day itself. And that's uh, the way an octave is meant to go. And the last day of the octave, that is the eighth day, it used to be the celebration of the circumcision of Christ, right? He's born and then Mm -hmm. eight days later, he's circumcised and given his name, which means God saves. It's what he loves to do the most. Uh, Now it is the the celebration of our, Our Lady, uh, as our mother, and it is a holy day of obligation. And so that eighth day of the octave, if we're celebrating it every day, and there's beautiful feast days every single day of the octave yes. from the Holy Innocents to St. John the Evangelist and so on, that uh, to celebrate every day as if it were Christmas, you know, as as Catholics, we're like, Christmas isn't just one day, we're going to keep on celebrating. So we know how to mm-hmm. celebrate as Catholics. And so that's the best way to celebrate the octave. And I love it. Go to Mass. This is truly the best way to celebrate the season. And you'll see it. The hymns at Mass, we're singing Christmas songs about our Savior. We are singing the Gloria. It's this great season that 
we have to really enter into that time. And so maybe you're a little more akin to sleeping in during the Christmas season. I want to encourage you, use this opportunity to get to Mass. Go and enjoy that time with Christ. You'll be so joy-filled that you focus in on Christ during this Christmas season rather than perhaps an overemphasis on the wrong type of rest. Because as we know, Father Tim, resting is prayer at the core. Absolutely. And I'm actually going to be on my personal retreat this week. So uh, pray for me and I'll be praying for you. I've been putting it off all year, but I think this will be the perfect week for me to get some rest and uh, recover in time for the new year. Praise God and almost Merry Christmas to you, Father Tim. We'll be back every day here on Trending. So be sure to enjoy these special episodes of Trending, what we've chosen for you during this Christmas season. I'll see you in the new year.